Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8. And if you want to follow along, if you don't have an ESV, but you have a phone or an iPad or something like that, there's a QR code. You could take a shot of it and it'll open to the ESV if you have wireless on your phone or wireless. <laughs> How many of you guys still call the internet the interwebs? Anybody? I call it the interwebs just to irritate people. <laughs> and I call it Facebook the Facebook. <laughs> that kind of thing. Do what? You're out of minutes? Oh, yeah, that's a great one. Out of minutes. I remember those days. <laughs> In Romans chapter 8, uh, we, we come to this... Uh, the half, kind of the middle part of what's probably, could be the greatest chapter in the Bible. I mean, it's just a, it's just a delicious chapter to read. Uh, a friend of mine in Oklahoma, he had memorized only one chapter in the whole Bible, and it was this particular chapter, Romans chapter 8, because of what it says. And if, you are, if you're not in the habit of, of reading your Bible on your own regularly, uh, this, is a great, this is a great chapter to, to start with and work, work your way through. You could read it four or five verses every day for a week, and by the time you get to the end, uh, you'll, really, you'll really know something about God, and you'll know something about Christ, you'll know something about yourself. And reading the Bible is such a wonderful thing to do, and I hope, I hope everybody uh, here does that, reads the Bible every day in some way. There's so many ways to read the Bible or to listen to the Bible. And if you're, if you're not taking time to read God's Word, you're depriving yourself of a daily message from heaven, because God's Word is the Word of the living God. It's, 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 it's breathed out by God. It's God's Word. It's what God wants you to know about Himself. Everything in Scripture is special revelation. Special revelation. It's everything the Bible says are things about God that you can only know from Scripture. There's no other way you can learn these things except by this special revelation. If you want to know something about God, if you want to grow in your love for God, spend time reading His Word. There is no substitute. There are many distractions, but no substitute. Now, <clears throat> we've already mentioned it a couple times, but you know, school starts next week. And when school starts, it's kind of a, you know, kind of a, a good and bad time of the year. When school starts, it's officially the death of summer. It's officially the death of summer. Because you got to go back to the grind. You got to get back up at that certain time. You got a bedtime that comes back into force, and you can't stay up watching cartoons till midnight every night. You got to go to bed at you know nine thirty or ten o'clock. Or if your parents are really cruel, vicious people, it's eight eight thirty, <laughs> and you got to lay there in your bed and stare at the ceiling and that kind of thing. But it's the death of summer. It's the it's the end of freedom. It's the end of fun. You know we're we're back to the grind. But but. Rest assured, my friends, another summer is coming. <laughs> because after summer, you have fall, and then you have that wicked, vile time of the year that, that began only after the fall. Winter. Winter. But winter won't last forever. It'll end. And the snow will go away, and the grass will turn green, and the flowers will grow, and the sun will come back. And will be warmed and filled with joy because summer will come back. 
And that future, as we begin this school year, and then, you know, the, uh, <laughs> the preliminary rounds before wintertime comes, we know that there is going to be a glorious thing in the future. Summer's going to come back. Now, everybody, before we moved up here, they said the summers up here are glorious. And I want to say they are pretty nice. They are pretty nice. Very delicious weather. I was talking to a friend of mine in Ohio. He said, why do you use words about food to describe weather? I said, because I don't live in Ohio. (laughs) We can say it's delicious up here. Now, in this section of Scripture, the apostle tells us in verses 12 to 17 of chapter 8, he talks about our being heirs together with Christ. The authorized version has this great reading here where it says, we are joint heirs with Christ. This Airship we have is a status that we enjoy that is only in prospect. It's not, it's not ours fully yet, but we know it's going to come. We are going to share in what Christ will share in and what he'll possess in the future in the kingdom. But this, this privileged position cannot be enjoyed until later. And the apostle says here that we receive this Spirit of salvation in verse 16, where we've been brought into fellowship with God and we've been made sons of God through adoption. And we have this new intimacy with the, Holy, with the Heavenly Father where we can call him Abba Father. And so this is what the apostle says. He says, this is what you have. We have these assurances from the Holy Spirit in verse 16. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are indeed the children of God. And my friends, I don't think I got this in my sermon two weeks ago. But if you want to know for sure you're saved, read the Bible. Read the Bible. John chapter 20, verse 31, the apostle says this. If we wrote down everything that Jesus did while he's on earth, we wouldn't have enough pages to do it. But these things are written so that you might know that you have eternal life. God's Word can help you to know for sure you're saved. It's how the Holy Spirit ministers to us and how he, He bears witness that He testifies to us that we belong to Him. Now, this benefit, this, this, this privileged position that we have with Christ, with God through Christ, <coughs> excuse me, is in prospect. It's not fulfilled yet. It's still out there in the future. It's still the summer yet to come. But verse 17 tells us that before we can enjoy the fullness of the airship, before we can, have, we can experience the completeness of being an heir with Christ, we have to suffer. Look at verse 17. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. So the apostle says that the suffering has to come first. Now, suffering, this is a kind of a simple definition, is suffering is not getting what you want. Not getting what you want, right? You ever gone to a restaurant to order your favorite thing, only to find out that they sold out before you got there? What a frustrating thing that is. Have you ever gone to a store to buy something that you really need, and you go to the shelf and there the hook, it's empty? It's so, it's so frustrating, and it really feels like suffering, doesn't it? But it's a kind of suffering. It's just a general category of not getting what we want. We all want things to go well, but things often do not go well, and we suffer 
because of it. Now, suffering is revelatory. Suffering reveals things to us. And the apostle says here that if we are the true children of God, we will suffer with him. The apostle Paul says in Timothy's letter, Yea, all that live godly will suffer persecution. There is suffering that will take place. Now, the apostle in this section now talks about future glory. Future glory. Now, the heading I'm taking from the English Standard Version, that's the heading of this this paragraph of Scripture, future glory. Now, let's take a reading, and then I'll do my best to preach a sermon in about 25 minutes, okay? Now, I'm going to do my best. I'm making no promises. I'll tell you no lies, but I'm going to do my best to do this. Now, let's take a reading here, verse 18. The apostle says, For I consider, in light of this suffering that will lead to glorification, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time (coughs) are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, All things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestinated, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And we trust the the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Now, our eternal future is glorious. The eternal future is what? Glorious. The eternal future is what? Glorious. But until then, we have to suffer. The future is going to be glorious. But until then, we have to suffer. But the suffering that we go through... The apostle says, is not worth comparing to the glory that's going to come. The suffering is not worthy. Paul says, it's not worth taking the time. It's not worth even putting on the same page. It's not not a word we should mention in the same sentence because the glorification, the glorious state we're going to enter is, is beyond comparison to the suffering. It's not equal part suffering to equal part glorification. It is one one one-thousandth suffering and ten thousand worlds of glory. 
The Apostle says it's not worth comparing. Our future glory will eclipse all current suffering, no matter what you're going through in your life right now, no matter what you have gone through, no matter what you are going through, or what you're going to go through in the future. That amount of suffering is nothing, nothing compared to the glory that you're going to experience as a child of God. That's what you're going to get, eternal glory. Any glory you have right now fades. There are some weeks at basketball when I can't miss a basket. I mean, it's, it's great. You just throw up any kind of garbage and it goes in. I was, I was thinking at the free throw line the other day, I dribbled out, and I was looking at this other guy I was playing. I looked at him and I winked and threw it right over my head, swished it. I walked out of the building because that's when you quit. <laughs> And no, those moments are so great. There's nothing like going into the locker room and hearing somebody say, dude, you were on fire today. Oh, the thrill of it all in that moment. You guys know what I mean in some of your, some of your, some of your, some of your you know, the stuff you guys do. Catch a big fish, kill a big deer, catch a big sail, get some brand new slacks at Goodwill with the tag still on them. You know what I'm talking about? In your size, I mean, that, that's, woo, that's good stuff. But that stuff is all temporary, isn't it? It's all temporary. No matter what earthly glory you may, you may amass for yourself or win for yourself, that's only temporary. But one day there's going to come when you're going to enter a state of gloriousness that will never end. Scripture is replete with this idea that It's going to take all of eternity for God to show you and reveal to you what he has laid up for you who are his children. Because God loves you in an incredible way. God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ into the world. Romans chapter 5, 2 Corinthians Corinthians 5 says this, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. This is how invested, how involved God is in your redemption. It's, Paul says it's God in Christ. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit working together to redeem who? To redeem rats like you and me. To redeem us. And he's devoted himself to us in this great way and given us his Holy Spirit. So the future glory is going to eclipse all current suffering, and it's not even worthy of comparing it. It's going to be revealed to us. Now Paul says here, this is interesting, not only Christians are suffering, creation itself is also suffering. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. Remember in the curse, God cursed the earth for Adam's sin. Cursed is the ground for your sake. And everything that man tries to do, the world we live in <clears throat> seems to oppose us. And when you, let's listen, when you make a garden and the weeds come in and mess up your nicely tilled soil and garden, what do you do to those weeds? You go out there and you chop them down with a hoe. You rip them out by the roots. You go down to the store and you get yourself some specially formulated herbicide and you spray it on there. You kill that stuff. You kill that grass. The best weed eater is made by Roundup. 
weed eater, eh, Roundup, squirt. <laughs> Which one do you want to run all day? <laughs> you kill that stuff. Now, I'm not going to say the earth is a person. But this passage says the creation groans. The creation knows it's not in the glorious state that it once was. It's cursed. You see, creation knows that before the fall, there was no winter. <laughs> creation, knows before, <laughs> creation knows that before the fall, there weren't any thorns and thistles. None of these mean plants that are out there. It was all much better. And creation groans under this. <coughs> Excuse me. Creation is longing to be set free from the curse. The planet suffers from things that men do to it. Now, I'm not an environmentalist. But my friends, the world that we live in, we should take care of it. We should try to be the good, best stewards of it we can be. We should catch all the fish. We should kill the deer. Well, we should love the water that holds the fish. Love the water? I don't know if you say love. The, we should care for the water. We should care for the woods. We should care for the world in which we live. And if we don't care for it, we suffer. If we don't care for what we have, we suffer. If we mess up all the water in Michigan, we're going to suffer. No more good, soft drinking water. No more clear water to swim in and fish in. No more boating. We should care for these things. What the apostle is saying is it's like this suffering is not just Christians, but everything that God loves and cares for that he's created is suffering. But this suffering, <coughs> this longing to be set free from this, is going to take place. Verse 21, the, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You see, Christ's redemptive work redeems his people and redeems his world. And are going to be set free. Verse 22 says this. <clears throat> we know that the whole creation has been growing together in the pains of childbirth until now. Now this is an interesting turn of phrase. Childbirth. He's talking about suffering that is eclipsed by glory. Now, I've never had a child, but I've been present for the birth of five of them. Five children. With our first child, Valerie carried that child through the hot summer month of July. And Valerie and I, we got, we got, the, we got the big idea to go uh, from, where we, from where we lived in West Virginia to go over into Virginia, to Charlottesville, Virginia, to see Thomas Jefferson's home, which is called, what, Valerie? Monticello. I always want to say cello but it's cello, Monticello. And she, she was great with child. And it was hotter than you know where. And she was sweating. She, she got so dehydrated that when she went for her weekly doctor's visit the next week, she had actually was a, a quart low. Or <laughs> she was low on antibiotic, not antibiotic fluid, not amniotic. <laughs> The water the baby floats in, she was, she was low on it. And the doctor said, what have you been doing? And she said, you know, 
Terry's been dragging me around the country, you know, making me look at dumb stuff <laughs> in the hot days and giving me no, no mercy. But all the, all the stress of carrying that child, I watched her. I watched her with the discomfort. But that discomfort she had carrying the child was nothing compared to the discomfort of bearing the child. Whoo! If men had to bear children, there'd be no babies. And there definitely wouldn't be five in one couple, <laughs> that's for sure. But man, I watched the transformation on Valerie's face as the child is born. Through the sorrow, through the groaning, through the travailing. And then when the child is born and there's that little cry. And seeing that, that little squiggly baby placed onto her chest, wrapped in that little blanket, you know, and there's the baby. And what just a second ago was a grimace, a scowl, is replaced by the biggest, fattest, juiciest grin you can imagine. Here's my baby. Here's my little daughter. Here's my child. Here's my precious one. So the groaning was eclipsed by the glory of the child. And this is how Paul describes this. He's letting the Christians of Rome know, he's letting us know, that this suffering that we are going through is going to be swallowed up in a gloriousness. And in verse 23, Paul switches back now to talking directly about human groaning. We groan, verse 23, waiting for this new body. The body that we have, he's already described it in Romans chapter 7 as being the body of death. And he says, this body of death is going to go away. There's going to be a new body. We wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, which is the redemption of the body. This redeeming of the body. (coughs) Excuse me. This giving to us of a new body. (coughs) We've been adopted We've been brought into God's family, but it hasn't really been complete yet in a sense. Now, I've had some friends over the years who've adopted children from foreign countries. You may, you may, you may, have, you may know people like that, or you may, maybe that's you yourself. Or they've you know, got with some international adoption agency and adopted some children from China or from Africa or from Korea. And they adopt those children on paper, and the child belongs to them in a sense, but then that child has to be brought from wherever they are over here. And the adoption process is complete when possession is taken. This is now my child. Now it belongs to me. Now it's with me. We are the children of God. We have been adopted, brought into his family. We have been redeemed, but that full redemption has not yet taken place. Now we know this from Ephesians chapter 2, because Paul says there to the Ephesians, he referring to the Holy Spirit, he says, the Holy Spirit is the earnest of redemption. Now, I don't know how to illustrate this any better, so I'll do it this way. Anybody ever been to a pawn shop? All right. Now, going to a pawn shop to shop is different than going to, for a pawn shop to get a loan. It's a whole different attitude, right? I may have ever pawned something at a pawn shop. I may have ever been a day late, a dollar short, and lost your thing. That was me. <laughs> 
Remember that shotgun I told you guys about a few weeks ago? The engraved 410 pump shotgun? Well, I was a day late and a dollar short getting it redeemed from the pawn shop, and I lost it because I pawned it for some money, and it was a, a dark day. Dark day. Let's all pause for a moment of silence. <laughs> well, when you, when you pawn something, you, you give it to the, to the pawnbroker, and he holds it. He gives you the money, gives you a claim ticket. And that claim ticket says that that item is yours if you meet the conditions. And you can redeem it at any time. You, you can do it. And that thing waits for you. They can't sell it. They can't do anything with it. They have to wait. They have to wait until the time passes or, or, you, or, you, pay the, or you pay the <clears throat> pay the money. And it just waits. And the Holy Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit as God's earnest money as God's good faith endowment that he's going to redeem you and resurrect you. <clears throat> Until you are resurrected <clears throat> or glor- glorified, <clears throat> excuse me, this dang cough. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you until that final redemption takes place. Then you won't have the Holy Spirit anymore when you're in heaven. Because you won't need the Holy Spirit anymore like you, do, like you need it now. But that's God's, his earnest, his endowment. He's given you himself as his surety, as his guarantee that he's going to redeem you. Now, when our bodies are redeemed, this, in the resurrection, is when the adoption is fully completed. And the apostle says that in this hope we were saved. This is God's promise to us. It's not something we can see or feel, but it's God's promise. We can't see it. We can't take a screenshot of it or send a copy. But it's real. It's something that we're hoping for. In this hope of redemption, we are saved. Now, last part of the sermon. You ready? So we're suffering, waiting on the eternal gloriousness to come. We're suffering. But while we suffer, we have to trust. We have to trust in two things. We have to trust in the Holy Spirit, and we have to trust in the sovereignty of God. In verses 26 through 27, the apostle says the Holy Spirit is really helping us out here in a big way. Because the Holy Spirit helps us to pray. We don't quite know how to pray. We don't quite know how to pray all the time. You know, in James it says that if you pray just to have your own lust or desire satisfied, you're not going to get it. You ask and you ask amiss because you ask according to your own lust. Now, that's kind of a hard thing to figure out, isn't it? What if you're praying for God to give you some food? Is that a lust? Is it a strong desire? Is it something you need? It's kind of hard to know sometimes how to pray. It's hard to know exactly, how, it's hard, it's hard to know exactly what to say when you pray. Because Jesus says, love your enemies, right? Love your enemies. Have you ever prayed and said, Lord, please let them to get theirs? Lord, make their purposes fail. Cause their boat to sink. <laughs> there's all, there's, and, and now in the Psalms, there's this thing called imprecatory prayers. Where you, you pray, it's basically praying for the death of your enemy. Now, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I have prayed for the death, death of my enemy before. And my, my excuse for it was, David did it, why can't I? It's in the Bible. 
You know, I'll be, and I'm, I'm happy to say that I prayed for the death of my enemies and none of them died. None of them died. I prayed, dear Lord, in Jesus' name, let them die. And they didn't die. Why didn't they die? Because the Holy Spirit <laughs> interceded on my behalf and said, Father, you know, or he said, Lord, you know, Terry's an idiot. <laughs> he shouldn't be praying about this. Like he's, he's having a bad day. The Holy Spirit is helping us. We don't know how to pray with these groans that cannot be uttered. There's something deep going on here. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. When Jesus was on the earth, he said, I'm going to go away, and when I go away, I'm going to give you another what? A comforter. I'm going to give you another helper. Jesus says, I am here with you. But Jesus was limited by time and space. He can only be in a certain place at a certain time with certain people. But he says, I'm going to go away, and when I go away, I'm going to leave behind. I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit, who is not confined by time and space. Because the Holy Spirit is here meeting with us right now. If you're here and you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. And uh, the Lewises are here, and they got a kid way, 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 a kid, a daughter-in-law, and grandbabies. In Indonesia, which is not just around the corner. And the Holy Spirit's over there with them. Same Holy Spirit. Not a different category of Holy Spirit. Not a deputy of the Holy Spirit, but the same exact Holy Spirit is over there. Just like he's in China. And Detroit, if you can believe that or not. The Holy Spirit is all over the place. The same Spirit ministering to us all. So the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He comforts us. He assures us. The Holy Spirit teaches us and guides us. He helps us in our weaknesses. Especially in prayer. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And the Holy Spirit, he knows. He knows. Verse 27, he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. God knows everything. And he knows what the Spirit is saying and doing and helping. He knows what we really need deep within us. So we have to trust the Holy Spirit. Now trusting the Holy Spirit is easier said than done. Well, we have to trust in the Holy Spirit to do the things he's doing. Now, look, I I think about this every Sunday. I think about the people who are probably going to be at church on Sunday. And I think, okay, what am I, how am I going to, how am I going to get this sermon across? You know, I got to have something for the the mature Christians who uh, are not impressed by the stuff I usually do. And then there are those Christians who are, you know, kind of immature, and they like what I do. (laughs) Then there are people who are not Christians at all. Then there are people who come to church who are cynics, who don't believe in God, who don't believe in the Bible, and and they're not, and the Bible says that the fool says there is no God. Well, in that sense, it's a foolish thing to reject God, but it doesn't mean that they're dumb that they're not cognizant and logical people. So you think about those kind of things. What if you, i got to give a sermon that's going to touch all those bases. The real mature people, 
the immature people or the young Christians. Don't take immature or negative. I don't mean it that way. People who are, Christ, who are not Christians at all are then skeptics. And how can you pull that off in one sermon? If you look at my notes, I don't, have, I don't have it highlighted, you know, green for this people and red for those and pink for those. I don't have it that way. I've tried, and guess what it does to the sermon? Very long. And nobody likes that, right? You know, thanks a lot for that, guys. You just gave me permission to go longer and longer. You got to learn to say amen at the right times. But who, who can, who is sufficient for these things? Who can do it? The Holy Spirit can. And you got, I got to trust him every Sunday, and you got to trust him every day and every week of your life, too. You got these kids you're trying to raise. You got a husband or wife you're trying to live with. You got coworkers you're trying to figure out. How can, I, how can I get all these people to know Christ? You speak little words as you go along and trust the Holy Spirit to work through you in their life. Trust the Holy Spirit. And then, we may come back to this next Sunday, but we have to trust the sovereignty of God. Look at the reading here. And we know that for those who love God, now here's the key thing. This is what you can expect. If you love God, here's what you can expect. That all things work together for good to those who are called according to His purpose. You have to learn to trust God. Now, it's, always, it's, a, it's, a, it's a well-said statement by preachers. It doesn't say that all individual things are good, but all things together work out for our good. Not all individual things are good, but they work together for our good. How many of you are, are, are better today than you were before because of bad times in your life? Wasn't good in the moment, but looking back, you say it. It's actually good for me. In, his, in Lamentations, it says it's good for a man to bear the yoke of bondage in his youth. You learn a lot when you're young. It's good. It's good. We trust the sovereignty of God, that God is working out these things for our good. This suffering that we're going through is for our good. We have to trust the, the loving heart of God. Now, some people say, well, if God loves me. Why is he making my life so bad? Have you heard that as a parent from your kid? Why are you, making, why, why are you giving all these rules, Dad? Why, why do I have a curfew? Why are you calling me on the phone to see where I am? Why are, you, why are you making my life miserable? Now, as a, as a kid, I thought my dad was making my life miserable. Anybody else like that? Seemed like they were a little... <laughs> oh, Leslie. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's for your good, Leslie. <laughs> it's for your good. It doesn't feel good at the moment, but the, 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 it, it emanates from a heart of love. And we have to learn to trust God, trust His sovereign purposes, trust what He is doing. If we love Him, that means He loves us. Because we love Him because He first loved us. 
And we can expect from him that these things, while they are not pleasant, while they're not really, you know, sunshine and roses all the time, it's going to be worked together for good. Then verse 29 and 30, you have this, this long promise. It's the golden chain of redemption, they call it. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he, Christ, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestinated, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also, this is worth noting, glorified. Notice this is in the past tense. Glorified. Called, past tense. Justified past tense, glorified past tense. Now, what does this mean? It means it's as good as done. Because what God has predestinated, what God has purposed to take place, is going to take place. It's as good as done. It's as good as done. Now, the best illustration of that is in the redemption of sinners. Old Testament saints could be redeemed before Christ died actually on the cross, Because God had already purposed that Christ would die on the cross. And from eternity, Christ has been the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. The redemption was as good as done because God said that's what's going to happen. So it's in the past tense. Glorified. You are headed in the right direction with Christ and with God. Someplace you're not going to be sad about. And this suffering that you're going through now it's going to be eclipsed by a gloriousness that you can't even get your hands around. Something more magnificent than you can imagine. But only if you know Christ. Only if you've put your faith in Christ. Only if you've trusted Him as your Savior. Only if you've turned to Him in faith, calling upon Him to be your Savior. If you've done that, you're on the right path. You're on the path you want to be on. You're on the path that leads to glory. But if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're on a much different path. You're on a path to eternal sorrow. If you think you've suffered now, wait until the last day when God separates the believers from the unbelievers and casts the unbelieving people into the lake of fire where there is eternal torment both day and night forever where the beast and the false prophet are. That's the fate, that's the future of all those who do not put their faith in Christ. But the fate of those who put their faith in Christ is to enter into rest and the rewards and the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. That's your future as a Christian. Let's have a prayer together. Father, I pray you'll bless these words to our hearts. Help these words of Scripture to ring aloud over the days and years and reap enduring fruit for all time, we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.